We are making our way through the book of Genesis and a study of the origin of the earth, the origin of God's people, the Israelites, and God's plan. God's ultimate master plan for the human race. God, being a loving father, willed it that we would exist, that we would have lives, that we would enjoy in this life on earth. So he created the heavens, he created the earth, and all in six days, God created all of creation. Resting on the seventh day, his work was complete. He knew that his goodness had reigned forth. And there he placed in the garden man, Adam. And he loved Adam, and he blessed Adam with a wife, Eve. And he enjoyed watching them grow in relationship with himself, in relationship with each other. He told them to have dominion over the world. And he had this will for their life, a will that was a covenant with God of obedience of goodness, of justice, of peace. But Adam and Eve, they sinned. He gave them free will. He gave them a choice. And they chose to disobey. They chose to be what they thought was like God, deceived by the serpent Satan. And from that point in time on, humankind has been plagued by sin and death. You see, sin leads to death because God is a good, just God. He allowed us to have this free will. But God knowing all things, God being omniscient, all-powerful, and sovereign, all-wise, already had it in his mind that he had set forth a plan of redemption so that we could be bought back from sin, from the clutches of the enemy and the clutches of death. God was going to allow that the human race would spring forth the Messiah, a man, 100% God and 100% human, who would bear the sins of the entire race, the human race, of sins throughout all of history. This Messiah would take on the judgment due to mankind. And this Messiah prophesied of by God himself was going to come from the, la the line of Adam, of course, Adam and Eve, but also from the man Abraham. It was through Abraham's seed that we were promised a life of eternity. And the book of Genesis, we've been following as God had this origin story of our lives, this account. And now he began to focus on the man Abraham, whom God called out of his family, out of his land, to a land that he didn't even know yet. A journey of faith Abraham was to be set up on. And as he went forward, God gave him a promise. The promise that he would have a son. And Abraham was already 75 years old when he had this promise given to him. 
and his wife Sarah was also too old in age. And 25 years later, after no promised son had appeared, Abraham and Sarah, already having failed in their faith towards the Lord, they had their son Ishmael through the maid, Hagar, an act of the flesh. Sarah said, Abraham, I'm too old to have a kid. Take the maid, take her as a wife. And Abraham in his flesh decided that he would try to allow God's will to be performed by his own will, by his own flesh. And then God came back to Abraham and said, Abraham, no. Ishmael is not the promised son that I've told you about, but you will have a son. And then finally, after 25, I'm sure, long years, now that Abraham's close to being 100 years old in his 90s, the Lord visited Abraham and Sarah, and Sarah conceived. She was prego, and there was so much joy and laughter involved in this son, because they were thinking, how is it possible that us in our old age are able to have a son? So his very name, Isaac, that they bore, his name meant laughter. And through the years, Abraham loved Isaac. He cared for him. And so did his mother, Sarah, so much so that she cast out Hagar and Ishmael because they were plaguing the boy Isaac. And Abraham watched as Isaac grew. And Abraham loved Isaac. He was the delight, the joy of his life. And then some close to 25 to 30 years later after Isaac is born, we begin to read in Genesis chapter 22. Starting with verse one, it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Now, after these things, it said in verse one, those things concerning the birth of Isaac, the tests that Abraham had to go through. After all the trials, all the tests and blessings Abraham had already endured, and many of them actually failing, God was going to test Abraham again at a very old age. Tests don't stop. Our tests are going to keep coming until we're in heaven. May we not lose heart as the waves of tests and trials keep coming towards us. May we know that God has a plan that in its end, in its entirety, is victorious. One where one day we will graduate from all these tests and we will be in glory with God. In the ultimate peace without sorrow, without pain, without sin. Abraham responded to God when God called him. He said, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. Remember Abraham's, Abraham's name used to be Abraham, meaning high father, this authoritative high, this ultimate father to now Abraham, meaning father of many. He says, here I am. He's got his one son. In verse two, then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. We have to Look at the gravity of this request from the Lord. That Abraham watched the promise of God fulfilled through his son Isaac. 
his only son, Isaac. And notice God doesn't even mention Ishmael. He says, your only son. But Abraham had Ishmael, who was also his son. But God only recognized what was born of the spirit, not of the works of the flesh. God called Isaac his only son. Now, a lot of times we get this idea that this account of Abraham and Isaac, that Isaac is this child, this little boy. But the reality is that he was actually anywhere in between his 20s and 30s at this time, well into his manhood. And Abraham had, had this love for his son that was growing. It's quite interesting to note that this is the first time that the word love is ever recorded in the Bible. And many times when a word is first used in that Bible, we get a in-depth idea of what the definition of that word is going to continue to be throughout the Bible. This word love is used as a deep desire, something that Abraham is delighting in. If you're a parent out there, you know the depths of love that you would protect your sons and daughters. You would lay your life out for them as a good father, a good mother would. And me being on the receiving end of having a good uh, earthly dad. We enjoy those moments when we're with our parents of perhaps a vacation somewhere, uh, a, a long time childhood memory that was good. We know the relationship between a parent and their child it's something that you can't really measure. That love is so deep. Abraham had a deep love for his son, his promised son, Isaac. And then God gave him this ultimate request, an ultimate test of obedience. He said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering to take what he desired to what he delighted in the most to give it to God fully, completely. This land of Moriah, geographically, it's where the Temple Mount is located, where David's city and to this day, Golgotha are all there in the Moriah region, the region of the mountains of Moriah. This burnt offering that God was asking to be done on Mount Moriah, later on, the Lord would solidify and give detailed instructions on how burnt offerings would be completed later on in Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter one, the burnt offering, as you read, would include shedding of blood of a spotless animal from your herd and then cutting it in pieces and burning its entirety as a symbol of full consecration and devotion to God. There were other sacrifices that the priests would perform, not the burnt offering, but there were other sacrifices where they would actually get to partake in the meat that was sacrificed unto the Lord. They would burn the fat and the priest would actually get to eat that meat. But the burnt offering was one that the priests did not eat. It was fully accepted of the Lord, fully burned and consecrated unto God. And this was a special gift to the Lord. It was that sweet smelling, pleasing aroma to the Lord. And that's what our worship is to God. When we're obedient to the Lord, 
These are the sacrifices now in the spirit. It says in verse three, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So we see now the father, Abraham, his son, and two men with them in the wood. These are interesting characters and elements that are developing in this account. A father, a son, two men with the son and wood. It says in verse four, then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. So now there's been three days of camping and traveling through Moriah. What do you think those three days were like for Abraham and Isaac? Do you think Abraham was battling in his heart and in his mind with what God had asked him of? What would you do if you were in that circumstance? What would you do if you knew you only had three days left with a loved one? I'm sure there were some deep, heartfelt words exchanged from Abraham to his son. But Abraham was still obedient. The Bible doesn't read and teach of Abraham arguing with the Lord or of doubts. But God had already prepared Abraham at this point in his life. Right after God asks him, it says in the next verse, so Abraham rose early in the morning. You see, he didn't procrastinate. He didn't linger in disobedience to the Lord. But he got up early to be obedient to God. And in verse five, it says, And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. Now, perhaps at this point you're thinking, how could God ask this of a man as a test? Isn't God cruel for asking for this human sacrifice? Perhaps you already know the end of the story and you still think, well, God is cruel to put Abraham through such a terrible test. What kind of loving God would cause a man to go all the way to the end of killing his son. You have to look at the Bible in context. You see, God has already shown himself to Abraham. God has shown Abraham that God is faithful. The Lord showed Abraham that he's just and loving. He did this first by allowing Abraham to see the promised son come forth. He showed Abraham that he was a just God when he burned Sodom and Gomorrah to the ground. And he showed Abraham that he was a loving God when he spared righteous Lot. Abraham knew of God's nature and he knew of God's promises. And one of those promises was that Isaac would bear fruit, meaning he would have heirs. Sons would come from him. A, a whole nation and many would be blessed by, the whole world be, would be blessed by Isaac's line of children. Secondly, of this idea of how could God ask this of a man as a test Abraham believed 
that if Isaac was to, to die, that God would resurrect him. In the verse that we just read in verse five, notice that he told his men to stay there with the donkey to eliminate the distractions that they might bring to keep them back because they would not understand probably what Abraham was about to do. But he says at the end of verse five, he says, the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. We will come back to you. He didn't say I will come back to you. He said we will because Abraham had faith that God would resurrect his son, Isaac. How do I know this? Well, the best commentary on the Bible is in fact the Bible. And Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, out of the New Living Translation, it reads this. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It was because those three days that Abraham was there with Isaac and Moriah, he already counted Isaac as being dead that most precious gift that was given to him. God had asked it back of him. And thirdly, now for this question of how can God ask this of Abraham? It was because this whole account would be a prophetic sign of what Jesus was going to do in the future. Look at verse six. It said, so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? We can see the relationship right here between father and son. And this must have been an intimate and dramatic moment for Abraham. As Isaac is becoming aware, we have all the tools. The wood has been given to lay upon Isaac as he's probably carrying all this wood up Mount Moriah, which also indicates that Isaac was strong enough to carry the wood for this fire. He was already a man. And then as he begins to question towards his dad, we have the fire, we have the wood, but where's the lamb? You see, we realize that Isaac he didn't know what God had planned for him. I can almost sense the, the loving and quick answer that Abraham responded when he said, my father, and Abraham quickly said, here I am, my son. There's intimacy in that. These are what Abraham thinks are his last moments before he's about to kill his son and in faith, hoping and praying and knowing that God would resurrect him. But still a, a dramatic and mind-wrenching moment. 
And then it says in verse eight, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Now this verse, uh, I would strongly suggest that you underline this verse, highlight it. It's a prophetic verse. And in the New King James Version, it's not as best translated as the more accurate version of the King James Version. You see, in the King James Version, in verse 8, it reads, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. You see, this is the prophecy that Jesus would provide himself for you and I. And it says that Abraham and Isaac, the two of them, they went together. Now, the Bible teaches us, can two walk together unless they are agreed? There's unity amongst Abraham and Isaac. Isaac right here, he's beginning his submission to the sacrifice that God has planned for him. And look at verse nine. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Obedient to the end, Abraham and Isaac. We see the wood symbolic of the cross. Abraham, he bound Isaac, and this was not a, a binding as in a trap, but this was binding as was custom to sacrifice. And Isaac here is submitting to the will of his father, Abraham. I'm wondering if perhaps Abraham sometime from the time that he began to explain to Isaac that God would provide, began to explain, Isaac, my son, God has commanded me to offer you as a sacrifice. And perhaps he had to explain to Isaac to trust in the Lord. Perhaps he was re reminding his son of the promise that God had given him of the seed of many nations and Isaac submitting to all of these things. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Perhaps Isaac was fearful, frightened, which is reasonable. Perhaps there was a moment of, Dad, is there any other way that we can get this done? Is there any other means? And then he said, but Dad, whatever God wills. Just like Jesus, when he was there and preparing himself to take all of our sins, all the evil deeds that we've ever done was about to be placed upon him. All the mental, spiritual, physical, wicked acts of the entire world were going to be placed upon him physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane with the, the stress and the loneliness began to sweat drops of blood. And he began to cry out to his father. He said, Dad, if there's any other way that this can be completed, if there's any other means of salvation for all the people who are listening, Lord God, let that be possible. Let it be done. 
And then he submitted himself and said, but Father, not my will, but your will be done. And he did that out of love. He did that for you and me. And it says in verse 10, and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. At this point, we need to picture the scene. Moments of Abraham and Isaac are flashing in spurts through Abraham's mind, possibly, of all the love that he poured out on his son, of the times where he enjoyed raising this little child to be a man, to be a young man, to be an adult, and those moments spent together, all climaxing to this moment where God has commanded him to offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham there, setting up the wood, preparing the fire, he had the instruments ready, a, a full consecration, Isaac being bound, submitting to what his father was doing to him and Abraham raising this blade, this knife to slay his loving son, his son whom he loved the most, probably trembling in fear of what was about to take place. And suddenly it says, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son your only son from me this angel of the Lord capitalized in my Bible perhaps this was Christ himself called to him twice, Abraham, Abraham, that he would get his attention. And Abraham, ready to hearken to whatever God had to say again, said, here I am. Perhaps tears rolling down his face. Don't lay your hand on the lad. Don't have any harm come to him. He says, for now I know that you fear God now, we know that God knows everything, right? Before it happens. He knows the future. He knows all things. So, since God knows everything, who was being tested here? Abraham, right? Abraham was now stepping into a realm of faith that he had never experienced in his life. Abraham is learning the amazing sovereignty, the all-wise God. And God knew that he wasn't going to let Abraham fulfill it. He says, I know that you fear God. And this fearing of God, it's not a fear of, of an anxiety towards something that's wicked and evil. But this is a, a childlike reverence of obedience to God. And that's what we need to have in our life. Many of us, we no longer fear the Lord. And he says, I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And just the same way that God did not withhold his only son from judgment. In Romans 8, verse 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. 
how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I'm reminded of Jim Elliott's words. He said, never hold on to something so tightly that when God asks it of you, you can't let it go. You know, self-denial, the death of our own selfish will and the acceptance of God's will, it can be a hard thing. It can be extremely difficult at times. Because we think what we want, which is against whatever those things are that are against the Lord is what's best for us, but it's not. Sometimes we'll even go as far as giving something up to the Lord. And we say, God, okay, I'm giving this to you, take it. And then we keep our eyes on it. So much so that we try to get it back out of that sacrifice, that fire. And as we do that, it just burns us. The Lord wants us to let go, to submit fully to him. And I know that at times in life, there are those things, whether it be a pursuit in life, a job that God is asking you to to give up, a relationship, a a career, academia. Whatever these idols are in our life, something taking the place of God, you have to ask yourself, you have to ask God if he's asking you to give any of those things up. And if so, we need to be fearful of the Lord, reverent of him, to let those things go. We wonder how can God ask Abraham to do this? That's cruel. But in that same manner, God gave his only son to die for the sins of the entire world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, that whoever, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish shall have eternal life. This is the gospel. This is the good news we get to apply to our lives and share it with everyone. We have the most wonderful cure in the world, the cure for death, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need and should enjoy sharing this cure with everyone. It says in verse 13, Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Now this is that joyous moment where as he's putting down the blade, to take his son's life. He's no longer going to take his son's life. Suddenly he looks up and behold, here's this ram caught in the thicket, probably making noises and like trapped, trying to get out. And Abraham realizes the Lord provided just as I said. I'd even realized that the words that I was telling my son would come to pass that I didn't have to endure sacrificing my own child. 
but that the Lord provided a ram. So he said in the Hebrew, Jehovah Jireh, meaning the Lord will provide. This title, Jehovah Jireh, it's actually one of the names of the Lord. Jehovah Jireh. I love this name of God because it reminds us that the Lord will provide what he desires. He is the provision. God provided his son a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And not only that, but in this lifetime, God has provided for us joy, peace, hope, spiritual gifts, love. He's provided for us blessings, a call to be chosen one of his children. Jehovah Jireh. There's been times in my life when it seems like there's a really bad situation. Perhaps I'll uh, forget my wallet going to work one day and I'll be like, oh man, uh, I don't, maybe I don't have lunch for today's day of work. And then suddenly for some reason, I'll open uh, my, uh, what's that thing called? The glove compartment. I'll open it up and there'll be money in it. And I'll realize, oh my gosh, I probably forgot that in there from the week before, but Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provided. And he is a God who provides. May you rest in that fact. There's so many names of the Lord. Jehovah Jireh being one of my favorites. But there's also Jehovah Tzidkenu. This is the Lord, our righteousness. And when we're condemned by the enemy, when we're just surrounded by our sin and we desire to be made pure, Jehovah to Sidkenu becomes our righteousness. Not our own self-righteousness, but God himself, Jesus. There's Jehovah Shalom. The Lord, our peace. When we're full of anxiety and fear, God himself becomes our peace. And there's so many more. I would encourage you to do a study of all the names of Jehovah and just be blessed on the attributes of who our God is. In verse 15, it says, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, have not withheld your son, your only son. Notice here that the Lord, he can only swear by himself. Because when people promise, when humans promise on things, we say, oh, I, I swear on so much amount of money or I swear on my mother's grave or something like intensely crazy like that. We call something of high authority. But God can swear by nothing higher than himself. So he says, by myself I have sworn and that he's going to bless Abraham and multiply him. In verse 17 it says, blessings I will bless you and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And your seed, all the nations of the earth, shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Notice in verse 17 that everyone is going to be blessed because of this. 
both literally and spiritually, those of Abraham's family, his literal descendants and his spiritual descendants, meaning the Gentiles who get saved, which is us, we are blessed. And he says that the descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. I'm reminded that we are more than conquerors through Christ, that he has given us the victory over the enemy, that we are going to possess the gate of our enemies. And we're more than conquerors because we already know that God has won the victory over death, over hell, over sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he proclaimed victory over hell, over all of our sins, over the darkness, over anxiety, over fear. And we can walk in that truth that God has the whole world in his hands, that he's giving us this victory. May we take it, apply it to our lives and walk without fear, walk in faith. May we walk in love. When the enemy tries to attack us, when he tries to use people in our lives to get us riled and angry, may we just walk in the victory of the Lord and know that God has a plan that he has a call for your life, that he loves you, that he's working all things together for good for those who called and those who love God. Abraham was being tested so that he can grow in faith. Perhaps you're being tested. Perhaps there's that thing in your life that you know God has been having his Holy Spirit tug at your heart, something to let go of, something to put on the altar. And you need to let it go. If that's you tonight, I want to say a prayer right now. May you just let whatever that idol is in your life, may you just let it go. Maybe it's something that's good. Maybe it's even a promise that God has given you that he's going to fulfill. But maybe he wants you to surrender it to him, to lay your hands off of his work fully and completely. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe right now you are the king of, on the throne in your heart and God wants to be king on the throne in your heart. If that's you, I wanna pray and just repeat after me in this prayer. Heavenly Father, I confess to you that I've messed up, I've sinned, Father, I ask that you would help me to let this thing go. Be first in my life. Fill me with your spirit. I love you. I accept your son, Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I was going to do a different song tonight. But being that this is the message, let's do O Come to the Altar in G.
our faith. Father, we love you. Praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. joy from the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling oh come to the altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious